Welcome to Attached, a podcast about the loved ones we're attached to and the good, the bad, and the ugly advice about those relationships that maybe we shouldn't be so attached to. We here at Attached want to share ways to enhance your relationships and debunk all of that bad relationship advice using science. Science. We make it sound so like... That amazing science. We make it kind of sound like it's not real. I kind of feel oh. bad every time I do that. It's like, hokey pokey science. It reminds me of like 80s movies, weird science, which I guess is not real. So yeah, good point. <laughs> anyway, I am Dr. Patricia Robertson out of the University of Tennessee. I'm Dr. Jacob Priest from the University of Iowa. I'm Dr. Sarah Woods at UT Southwestern in Dallas, Texas. Yeehaw. Today, Jacob is going to bring us something magnificent in pop culture. No one knows what it is yet, but I can only assume that that is what it will be. I feel like this is that's just like a subtle dig because I'm the only one that never puts anything in the outline. No. <laughs> Would I do that? No. Then in the academic deep dive segment, we're going to discuss the academic article Apology and Restitution, the Psychophysiology of Forgiveness After Accountable Relational Repair Response. That sounds really fancy, but I'm sure Sarah will break it down for us in a way that we can understand. And in Good or Bad Advice, we're going to discuss advice about how to make friends, you guys. I'm very excited about this. If you have advice that you'd like us to talk about, send it to us. You can leave us a message at 865-229-6775. Email us at attachpodcast at gmail.com or tweet us, Instagram us, Facebook us. We're on all of the places at Attached Podcast or go to attachedpodcast.com and send us a message. While you are there in the World Wide Webs, please remember to rate, review, subscribe to our podcast. And if you just love this podcast and you want to hear more of it from us, which I hope you do, please become or consider becoming a member of Patreon. Go to patreon.com backslash attached podcast. We have a lot of amazing stuff to talk about. But before we get to all that, how are you all doing? I'm doing pretty well. I actually want to triangulate the two of you into a marital conflict. Yes. (laughs) Wait, wait, I'm not supposed to want to be triangulated. I apologize. Wait a second. You know, because of COVID-19, I missed a couple of haircuts. And now my hair is the length where you either have to grow it out and maybe go full tenured professor mode or revert back to previous haircut. As you can imagine, I tend to be on the commit, grow the hair out end of things. While Chelsea, on the other hand, wants me to revert back to looking like a human being. (laughs) The man she committed her life to. Yeah. So I don't know. I just wanted to bring that to the two experts Mm. here and see if oh. you kind of have a way in either either way about about the haircut. What's? I mean, I I think who looks at your hair more, you or Chelsea? Ooh, that's a good That's wow. a really, really good That's one. a good way to frame that. I mean, I am pretty vain. I do spend a lot of time in front of a mirror. <laughs> that's probably true. I also am just looking how to make friends, and I really would like to be Chelsea's friend. So <laughs> whatever side she votes for is the side I shall vote for. <laughs> You don't want to be my friend. You're like, I'm locked in one way or another. Like, I'm wholly dependent on you for my research agenda. So, like, it's true. I was just going to relay a story of my father who has had long hair for the vast majority of his adult life. So I feel like if it's a statement you're going to do, I think it becomes part of your identity and personality and you have to stick with it. So are you that guy? Are you the long hair guy? Is that something that you're into? I I mean, you all have known me long enough. I'm definitely not a long hair guy. (laughs) Jacob, is it more of a fear of who will do the cutting? Is it really more anxiety about... Actually, the guy who cuts my hair is phenomenal, actually. Like, but I'm just like, I'm kind of in that spot where it's just like, if I wait another month and go for it, it'll just be like, we could potentially have like a little ponytail, little man bun situation. Oh. I'm just saying, oh, wow. it could be pretty impressive. And is that the associate professor you want to be? <laughs> you want to be that white guy walking around Iowa with a man bun? That's your look? That's who you're going for? I mean, I, I, also, I will I look- support it. But is that what you want? I look forward to those like new baby pictures too, where people are like, who is this man? 
with Chelsea <laughs> that has had this baby. And so I'm kind of feeling people. like you all are not on my side when it comes, comes no, to this. No, we always support you. We're just asking <laughs> questions. Yeah. We're just curious. Just things we're wondering about. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> this is the passive, passive-aggressive therapist. <laughs> Woods? I have been leading a far less exciting life. Although, I'm not sure that was exciting. Was <laughs> no, it wasn't really that exciting. <laughs> it, was a, it was a hair conundrum. I've been doing this weird thing where I'm finishing my child's art project. <laughs> I really, I'm looking forward to this how to make friends advice we're going to discuss. Less so as an expert, if you can't already tell. She just has like a bunch of half-finished projects and she just will kind of leave them around and I feel like it stresses me out to look at them <laughs> and rather than throw them out, like I need to finish them. I finished a woven pot holder and I was like really proud of myself and I looked up and I realized my mom was staring at me like oh god what is happening to you <laughs> and some like school projects that she's like only three quarters of the way done and then leaves sewing that's happened too and then I think it's rubbing off because this morning I found my husband finishing like a little what do you call those like things that you put in the window that like show the color what are those called like stained little yeah. Fake, yeah. stained glass project <laughs> I looked over and he was <laughs> finishing what was a half painted mermaid <laughs> and is now a completed mermaid yes i love it so um, i just feel like that probably says something i mean if you wanted to analyze it you could i don't know that you need to because i'm obviously willing to do it myself but i just feel like (laughs) i need to have a little bit of control in my environment and it's involved uh finishing six-year-olds art projects that definitely didn't need to even be started you guys are not gonna believe the amount of clothes that we have to fold in our family right now. I was getting the kids dressed this morning and I was like, oh my gosh, my three-year-old doesn't have any underwear. I was like, I guess I'm gonna have to buy more underwear. And I was like, oh wait, we haven't folded clothes in like three weeks. Oh, nice. (laughs) Like maybe (laughs) I should do some folding. And to be fair, the division of household labor in my household is that my husband does all of the washing because he's very particular about how colors and Mm -hmm. the heat of the water and all of that stuff happen. Mm And I'm more mm-hmm. particular about how things are folded. So that is my responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I have not you forgot about been it. doing it. I just walked into it. And it all like stays in the downstairs guest bedroom. So it's really easy to ignore and forget it. But I walked in mm-hmm. there the other day and I was like, oh my God, it is such a mountain of clothes. <laughs> I probably should do some of that work this weekend. Oh. It's like the worst chore. So you just move the laundry from the dryer into the other bedroom yeah. and then walk away. Yeah. I like it. I haven't tried yeah. that yet. <laughs> so because my husband like puts it and then says, okay, laundry, right? So he'll put it there and then I'm in charge of folding it. So I just haven't done the follow up. It mm. would be far mm. more intelligent if he like dunks it and I immediately fold that load that would be the proper way to do it it is never and we've been married almost 10 years it has never happened that way yeah i don't think that matters i don't think it's a matter of intelligence i think no i mean like you guys are the best thank you but seriously i got some work ahead of me (laughs) (laughs) gonna have to hold off on making some cheese or some it's gonna be a solid getting some honey yeah it's gonna be a solid day's work But is it like, is it, does it become alone time? Does your family leave you alone while you're folding? Yes, that's true. They do. That, and I can usually catch just, up on a series or something like that. It's like, it is actually quite soothing. Yeah. feels like a decision I need to make in my immediate future. Just hog all the laundry and declare alone time. You guys want clothes? Oh, well. Leave me Leave be. me alone. First up, popping culture. We learn about relationships from our friend and family, but a lot of what we think about love and relationships come from what we see in pop culture. So for this first segment, we always like to take a moment to highlight events in pop culture that influence people's lives and how we live. Jacob, what do you have for us this week? So I want to talk about a new series on Netflix. Love Netflix. Have either of you heard of Feel Good? No. Okay. How do you spell well, Phil? Feel like F-E-E-L. Oh, okay. Feel like P H I L, and it was somebody feeling good. But anyway, sorry, I thought it's it was going to be a Midwestern accent. <laughs> so it's actually a comedy. It's like you know, pretty short episodes. So it's something you really should get into. But it really shows two dynamics. I don't think we've talked a lot about on the podcast, but I think is 
important to to think about. The first one, the main character, who's actually the writer of the show and a comic, her name is May, and that's her name in the show, she struggles with addiction. And what I love about this series is it demonstrates... You know, oftentimes people who struggle with addiction are portrayed as kind of just bad or not the redeemable characters. But what I love about her is it shows her humanity, how kind she is, how thoughtful she is, and how she tries to manage the addiction and how she navigates a new relationship with that, right? So the premise of this show is that May gets into a relationship with a woman whose name is Georgina. May is from Canada, but I think the the show takes place in England and Georgina's from England and comes from a very proper British family. <laughs> Great accent. That was bad. That was bad, huh? Yikes. <laughs> but so the other dynamic going on in the show, which I think is really interesting too, is this is Georgina's first time ever being in a relationship with a woman, right? And so at the okay. beginning, both of these women have these two secrets. One has a past history of addiction that she hasn't shared with Georgina. And Georgina is, in a sense, keeping May and her relationship with May in the closet and doesn't talk to her family or her friends about this. And so throughout the course of the show, it shows how it can be difficult to navigate these types of experiences. And what I like about it and what I think it demonstrates and can show us about um, relationships is something that we've talked about here occasionally. But this idea, which I think it's going to tie into what we're going to talk about in the academic deep dive, of repairing and allowing for change and forgiveness in a relationship. It may not be that a lot of our relationships are as, you know, aren't worthy of television shows. It may not be we're in a relationship with the first time with a woman who's in a relationship with another woman for the first time or have a history of struggling with narcotics, but they do show throughout trying to navigate these new experiences, the struggle with addiction, and the way that they pull together and show up for each other. Mm -hmm. And in that process, become more and more secure, feel more and more safe with each other, and strengthen their relationship. Oftentimes, I think people experience relationships to be perfect. You know, I've had to talk to clients in the past about, hey, conflict is expected in relationship. You're never going to have a relationship that is absent of conflict. The important important thing is how you manage conflict and how you repair afterwards. And that's what I love about this show is it doesn't, you know, it's not portraying like, oh, we're two functioning healthy adults who have come together and now we have this happy relationship (laughs) where we just make funny hijinks. You know, it's not like a romantic comedy. It's kind of more of a nigritty and a very adult show, so not one to watch with your kids, that shows the importance of repairing and forgiveness in a relationship. And I really think that relationships need a lot of things to be successful. And one of them is that, of this ability to come to your partner and say, hey, I messed up, I'm sorry, and I'm gonna do better. I wasn't there for you in the way you needed to be at me at that moment. I've hurt you in a very fundamental way, and I wanna apologize for that. I think when relationships, when you can learn how to do that and can trust that your partner is going to do that, you really build a solid foundation to overcome tough obstacles that are going to come your way over the course of a relationship. I love it. And it's funny. So worth the watch. (laughs) Yeah, if it can be both entertaining, funny, and have a good example of relationship, I'm here for it. All the boxes. All the boxes. Now we're going to move to the academic deep dive segment and talk about an article titled Apology and Restitution, the Psychophysiology of Forgiveness After Accountable Relational Repair Responses, written by Dr. Charlotte Whitvlet at Hope College and her colleagues Lindsay Luna, Everett Worthington Jr., and Joanne Sang. Recently published in the Journal of Frontiers in Psychology, These authors explored apologies and forgiveness and their effects on health. What's really key for understanding this research is the author's focus on injustice. This idea that people can violate our expectations of how they will act towards us and that they're accountable for how they've hurt us as a result. These relational interpersonal injustices may be healed by when the person who hurts us apologizes. Saying I'm sorry may be a signal that helps the person we hurt to feel like we are holding ourselves accountable. 
And we can even take this a step further through restitution, which is a tangible action we may take to make up for the hurt and injustice we cause. The authors of this study explain that reducing the injustice gap, as they describe it, through apology and restitution has been shown to increase feelings of gratitude, empathy, and forgiveness, as well as decrease feelings of fear, sadness, and anger that are part of unforgiveness. Even more fun to read about in this paper is the prior experimental research that manipulated scenarios requiring apologies and restitution in order to test their effects on forgiveness, like unfair raffles, burglary scenarios, <laughs> yelling at participants while they do math, geez louise, giving insulting feedback on writing samples, a whole bunch of exciting projects. We love to hear those stories about, especially from the participants' point of view. Jeez Louise. In this study, Dr. Whitvelet and her colleagues emphasize forgiveness as multidimensional. It includes how we think and talk, how we behave, but also how we physiologically respond when someone who has hurt us makes amends. When we forgive someone we love, we move from anger and feeling threatened towards compassion or love. But we also become more calm and less activated and stressed in our body, so physiologically. So, Sarah, how did these researchers study apology, restitution, and forgiveness and their effects on the body, assuming that they didn't do these wild experiments where they yell at getting math things wrong? I mean, those projects presumably went through ethics boards, too. So they did not do anything too wild. This is all kind of envisioned transgressions. They used a sample of 61 undergraduates, about 50-50 men, women, average age of about 19. They were from the Midwest, which I swear it is not my goal to keep pulling studies <laughs> that pull from some It's all this messaging. Sample. It's now subliminal and oh you can only gosh. read studies that recruit people I mean, from the Midwest. I don't under, is, is like 90% of our country considered the Midwest? Do I not? I might just not understand what the Midwest is too. Um, like, I'm going to send you a t-shirt from Reagan and they will help you know what the Midwest is from who i mean it must be a real large it's it's pretty impressive yay it's the greatest store in the universe reagan become our sponsor please or if we get 10 more patrons on our patreon page i will send a picture of myself in that shirt (laughs) to our website from now on i'm just going to check where the sample's from and try to pull from some more like coastal elite academies but So they they pulled these undergrads in for a several hour lab visit that started with a survey where they answered some questions about forgiveness and unforgiveness and empathy, their emotion, whether it was negative, positive, their level of arousal. So they answered questions about their arousal in terms of like how activated their emotion was. Okay. So how emotionally aroused they were, not sexually, Um, (laughs) but uh, so their their feelings. (laughs) Yeah, well, it it was going to have to be made anyways. I just jumped ahead of it. And then they also answered feelings of like fear, sadness, anger, gratitude. So this this was these were emotions that they tracked as the experiment went on. And then they also, in order to capture that physiological reactivity piece, they used second by second facial electromyogram activity. So they tracked that? activity in two muscles that have been shown to react to stress Whoa. in prior forgiveness research above the eyebrow and under the eye, which <gasps> made me think about like, you know when you're eye twitches when you're stressed, which I feel like it's been happening to me lately. I read this study and was like, oh, it's a real thing. Okay, it's not just psychosomatic. They also measured heart rate and systolic blood pressure and then multiplied the two together as they tracked it because it's a measure of cardiac stress. Oh, interesting. So then participants were randomized to go through each of these four conditions, but in different orders okay. so that they could track their reactions, but that the reactions to each of the conditions I'm about to describe wasn't influenced necessarily by the order in which they were presented. So this is phenomenal because we have self-reported survey, but also physiological Mm. observation, Mm. but also physiological like internal like heart heart rate and and stuff like that. And then the research design is randomized in such a way to where you're not going to be influenced by the test itself, which is a type of validity. That's that's brilliant. I love it. I love it already. I love it already. So far, the only limitation being they're Midwesterners. Right, they're from the Midwest. Midwesterners. Right. right. 
which i mean they probably um, can't help it right jacob you can't help right. it yeah yeah it's just a thing some of us choose to live here some of us choose right. to be in the midwest we like oh. it and some of us some of us evolved to have man buns uh <laughs> iowa iowa not for everyone <laughs> that's the slogan that's the state slogan yes. iowa not for everybody. <laughs> not for not for you. Not for all. So there are four conditions. And like I said, each participant went through all four, just in different order. So all of them got this prompt initially that said, essentially, try to vividly imagine these events as you read about them as if they're actually happening to you okay. right now and focus on what you're thinking and feeling and your physical reactions that you would have if this was happening to you. And then all of them were told initially, you imagine that you return to your home and you discover that the home has been broken into. Your personal items have been stolen, $50 cash cash, a watch, a treasured keepsake from a loved one, credit cards. The police investigate, but they didn't apprehend anyone for the crime. So you've not had a chance to replace all your cards due to your busy schedule. And then they run through the conditions. So they get an apology only condition, a restitution only condition, a both, an apology and restitution, and then a neither. So in the neither, they're told, and this was stressing me out just having to read it. So I guess that was the purpose. (laughs) You have to go to a department store, buy another watch. You go to your school to replace your ID card. Then you go to the DMV, you get a new license call your credit card. Errands take the whole day. They had to essentially, for each of these conditions, as they go through them, they do these conditions. They do this thought experiment eight times in a row where they capture each time their emotional reaction, but also their physiological response so they can get an average difference for each of these participants between their baseline physiology and how it changes as they experience these conditions. So that one feels stressful for me. Then the apology only condition is they get a small white envelope in the mail with no return address. There's a note inside. How fun and imaginative these researchers get to be. And I'm going to read the note to you just because I think it's important for the takeaways. I want to apologize to you. It was wrong of me to break into your apartment and take your things. Ever since I have felt terrible. My conscience is really eating at me. I just wanted to tell you how bad I feel and how sorry I am that I probably have inconvenienced you to no end. If I had to do it over, I would ask for help instead of stealing. I wish I had never done it, Aww. and I know I never will do anything like this again. I am so sorry. I know, right? That was my reaction to reading it. I don't think I, I have like, ever done an apology that well in my life. Right? <laughs> right? The researchers really nailed it. You just need to start stealing so- <laughs> more. Is that what you're saying? What you're saying? <laughs> nope, that's not the takeaway. Oh, okay. uh, listen. Listeners, please understand that's not what we're trying to suggest at all. Yes, definitely more theft was what I was hoping for. But I read it and I instantly kind of forgot that this was all fake, right? So I guess, again, probably the point. The restitution condition, they had to read that they got this envelope, but inside they found all of their things returned to them, plus an additional $60 and a note that says, here's your stuff and some money to make up for any trouble I caused you. And the combination condition is they get the restitution, all their stuff back, and then that thorough apology. So what was really interesting, I thought, was that 38% of the participants said that the scenario reminded them of a situation in their own lives. And I know, and 21% said they personally experienced crime. So because it was like one in five, their sample, they did a check to make sure that those people didn't experience this anymore intensely because they have had their own experience. And that wasn't the case, but I just thought that was interesting. So what they found was that both the apology condition and the restitution condition led to participants feeling less unforgiveness. And that was especially true in the restitution. So that feeling of maybe even sometimes leaning towards revenge, that process that they answered a survey that was specifically assessing how they felt about the person who had offended against them targeted whether or not they were feeling unforgiveness. It was like a called the transgression related interpersonal motivations inventory for those who are very interested. They also experienced increased empathy and positive responses toward the offender. Wow. And less, I know, less anger, especially if they had, were in the restitution condition, fear, less sadness, greater forgiveness, greater gratitude, greater empathy, greater perceived control, more calm. And what I really thought was interesting in, is the combination of the two, the apologizing and the making up for it, making amends to the restitution. In that condition, they found more powerful effects on reducing unforgiveness and increasing gratitude than when either of those things happened alone. Oh, wow. So the combined effects of the two really had an impact on those two. Yes, that's exactly right. So they also found some effects on the physiological reactivity. Apology, for apology especially, they found the effects of apology lessened that heart rate reactivity and cardiac stress and less muscle activity under the eye. (laughs) 
<laughs> all I'm eating lately is some just good apologies from people. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then when the two were combined, restitution especially had a, an effect on less a brow reactivity. So what you're saying is we don't really need expensive facial creams. We just need apologies in our lives. We just need kindness yeah. and people to make, make some shit up to us. <laughs> oh, that was, sorry, that was my own stuff. So I do think the sample, all Midwest jokes aside, I do think the sample is certainly limitation. This is, right. this is undergrads who are going to be a little more educated, a little younger. And these are imagined scenarios. These are one-sided. It's a, it's a stranger who's offended against you. It's, it's criminal. This is not... Although they present research that talks about how the emotional piece especially can shift from negative to positive in close relationships, whereas if it's a stranger who's offended against you, it's more likely to move from negative to neutral. They then didn't test an imagined scenario with a close relationship, and that wasn't their goal here. Their goal was focusing on the physiology, but I think for our purposes, I think it's important that that's that's just a caveat. These researchers have done other research looking at close relationships. I also would like to see it replicated like you're alluding to in an older sample, maybe even senior citizen sample, but also ethnic racial and economic minority groups as well to see mm-hmm. if it is replicated across all of these groups yeah yep it could it could certainly operate differently for a lot of different factors and especially that all of those more real world scenarios become more contextualized right. that when I have a disagreement with or I feel like my romantic partner or my parent or my adult child or somebody has there's an interpersonal injustice done right. that's going to be complicated by a lot more than if I don't know that person and they took stuff from me when I wasn't home. That's just a different flavor of transgression. But I do think, I mean, your reaction even just kind of reading the apology was the same one I had, Patricia. I do think what this study does nicely is highlight what other research has shown too, that there is such a thing as a good apology. And... It is not off the cuff. It's not to shut a conversation down. It's not to just get things done with because you're guilty. It is really genuinely saying you're sorry, also showing remorse and really meaning it, being intentional about how you language those apologies. And also, if we're thinking about the restitution piece, sharing that you want to make up for it and making amends following through with that, not having that be a false promise of, I'm going to do things differently next time. It's, It's actually following through on how to make up for and heal that injustice. I think contextually you could also think about whether it might be helpful to check in with that person about how does that apology sit with you? How does that apology feel? To make sure that it feels genuine to the person receiving it. If contextually dependent, of course, that is an appropriate question to be asking them without kind of having them do maybe some on-the-spot emotional labor they might not be ready to do, but depending on how close and connected and relevant. I just think it's really interesting the benefits they're highlighting here uh, that are emotional, cognitive, and potentially physiological. I also think it's important, and these researchers make the case here and in their other research, that the goal here isn't to minimize or condone or tolerate injustice, which is, I think, another... Oh, I see. Another thing that people confuse about forgiveness is that does forgiveness equal forgetting? That's not, they are not one in the same. And it's not about making excuses for yourself or somebody else, but the goal is to repair. Repair is a big thing that we talk about in close relationships and couples research and that it's on the side of both people. So that part of why we see the forgiveness shifts here are that you're starting to reframe the person who offended you. Right. You're starting to think about what it might have been like from their perspective, which can be really powerful in real world relationships, not just fake burglars, (laughs) but that you try to understand why that behavior happened and what could be going on for the person who hurt you versus the problematic relationship behaviors that are unforgiving that include like, rehearsing what they did wrong in your mind over and over and over, really holding a grudge, that is not, that is unforgiveness. And that really hurts not just the relationship, but also the person who holds on to that pain. Like ruminating about those Ruminating, yes, that's, that's a good word. And I also think the part of how it's dyadic, although these researchers didn't focus on this here, but I think it's important that other research I think shows us too, is that there's power in being forgiven, that the receiving of forgiveness can also be really soothing and help to build relationships hearing your partner take that in can be really reinforcing but also help to build connection 
One of the things I thought about, which I think relates to this, and you brought this up a little bit, is kind of this idea of an attachment injury. So couples therapist mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. Emotionally focused therapy for couples innovator Sue Johnson uses this term to talk about when there has been an injustice done in a relationship. And I agree with everything you said, the way to go about the apology. In my clinical experience, I've worked with people where there's been infidelity or cheating. And right. one of the things I think mm -hmm. on the other end is important to remember, kind of another piece of this, is that if someone in a relationship has wronged you, forgiveness isn't just a yes or no thing right? Yes. Forgiveness is a process whereby Processed. it can come and go. It is not linear. It is not a flip the switch. Mm, I like and, that. you know, like if somebody's like, well, I apologized. Are you ready to forgive me? Well, I can forgive you a little bit today, but I can't forgive this whole thing in one attempt, right? That's not going to be the mm. real healing that goes on there. So I think that's important to remember that even if somebody apologizes correctly, even if they are trying to make restitution, that doesn't mean that it's just going to be like flipping a switch and like, all of a sudden I forgive you, right? As you were saying, Sarah, this is a very like contrived situation. Mm. And in your closest relationships, when you are wronged, it's going to be normal to potentially ruminate on that and sit on that for a while and to learn to forgive that person over time. Yeah, but like you, I thought this was really, really interesting work. Yeah, and that forgiveness can also, like you were alluding to, can can take work from that person as well. Fantastic. I, I, I just love the power of an apology, the power that that person has to create mm -hmm. emotional change and also seemingly physiological change in the other. I think it's important for everyone to know as we form new relationships, as we maintain our old relationships, there's power in apology. Just a good, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I don't know if you have to be as eloquent as this letter would be, but maybe, I don't know if it would hurt. I think the authenticity and being genuine and genuinely remorseful, whether or not it takes you a lot of words, is probably the key here. Yeah, I love that. An authentic apology goes a long way. How about that? Yeah. Fantastic work. Woohoo! Boo! Finally, time for good or bad advice, where we talk about pervasive relationship advice. We hear relationship advice from parents, family, and friends. We see advice about how to be in relationships from movies and TV shows. And we read advice spewed at us on social media, blogs, and numerous top 10 type lists. But a lot of it just isn't actually good for relationships. This is the part of the show when we use science to decide if that advice is good or bad. Very, very good one, Jacob. Wow. Um, <laughs> if you have seen or heard some advice you'd like us to talk about, send it to us. You can leave us a message at 865-229-6775. Email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com. Get at us on social media at attachedpodcast or go to the attachedpodcast.com webpage and send us a message. As we talked in the past, loneliness is an epidemic in the U.S., but making friends as an adult can be very hard. This week, we will decide if some advice for making friends is good or bad. The advice today is from The Guardian, titled, Loneliness Isn't Inevitable, A Guide to Making New Friends as an Adult. All right, are you guys ready? Yes, let's do it. Yes, ma'am. First bit of friendship tips advice. Build your self-confidence. Liking yourself before going off in search of friends is an important step to building healthy relationships. Think about what you like about yourself. When you're comfortable with yourself, it shines out of you. Bad advice. Okay. And this is why I think this is bad advice because we build self-confidence, if we want to use that term, I don't know, like about building through relationships, right? right. So a lot of times, what are you going to do? Like, okay, I'm going to hunker down and not talk to anyone until I feel confident about myself and then I'm going to go for it. Like building friendship requires vulnerability, 
And so I think that the way you're going to have more of that self-confidence is just to put yourself out there and you may not, you may feel anxious, you may feel scared, you may feel like, oh, am I saying the wrong thing? Am I being awkward? But that is the way that you're going to like build those relationships. So if you wait until like, I've got confidence in me, like you're I've not. I've got confidence in sunshine. Love yeah. the sound of music reference. Yeah. I think, me. I think you're going to maybe never put yourself out there. So for that reason, I'm saying bad advice. Yeah. And also it kind of says build self-confidence, but like to what? That seems like it could be forever process. So that's interesting too. So bad advice from Jacob Woods. Guys, what a weird reaction. I totally think that's good advice. (laughs) (laughs) What? That... Go on. I am like sincerely surprised that you write that bad advice. I mean, I don't think it's necessary that you get to some certain level of confidence, but I do think that putting yourself out there to make new relationships requires a certain level of confidence and probably would be really good if you knew who you are and your own, what you're good at, what you like to do and feel good about yourself. It also just might be a fake it till you make it thing, right? Like Mm, if the- I like that better. It's the difference between joining a Zoom meeting in half jammies, no shower, no makeup, and putting yourself together more. I feel like, like that competent. was referential to what I look like right now. <laughs> oh no, I don't. I have not half jammies. I have full jammies on right now. Full jams. So these two people are my friends, <laughs> <laughs> and they are both two of the most confident people I have ever met. And they are very capable of making lots of other friends. So I don't know that I need much more evidence than that. I feel like it's good advice. Okay. Good advice. So bad advice, maybe if self-building, self-confidence is the one thing that's holding you back, because we do build some identity with relationships, but also know who you are will probably help you build more long-lasting friendships to begin with. Did I summarize that well? You're really trying to be on the fence, trying to like reconcile the tension between Sarah and I, aren't you? That's that's exactly my job as host. You just nailed it. That's exactly, uh uh-huh, 100%. Next, find something you feel passionate about. Join a language class if you love languages or volunteer outdoors if you love nature. That's where you'll find friendship with the birds. Jacob, good or bad advice? Bad advice. Bad advice. Bad advice. Like this idea that, I don't know. I don't like the word finding something you're passionate about, right? Like. Yeah, that sounds so awful. Good point. Yeah, like. No, like, I think there's this obsession we have with this idea that like, oh, I've got to define myself by this one thing that I like to do that I'm so passionate about Mm. that I only think and I only talk about that. Maybe I'm taking this to the extreme, but that's what passionate seems like to me. Yeah. I think about like, I have a close set of dude friends out here in Iowa, and I don't think any of us are- You have other friends? What? (laughs) Those jammies aren't just bringing the podcasters to the table. But like, honestly, we couldn't be more different. Like, one of them is a neuroscientist who's German, who is really good at sports. And then you have me, and then you have a guy who loves to play the drums and sells Coca-Cola. Oh, I thought you were selling something else, but yeah, go ahead. (laughs) I know. I was like, wait, you play the drums? And then we have another guy who used to be a... Are we even friends? (laughs) You know? So it's not like you're... I mean, sure, it helps, like, if your friends like to do similar things, but you can have friendships of, like, diverse groups of people who like various things that you may or may not be passionate about. So that reason, advice right but don't you think like if you're trying to find new friends some sort of commonality would help new friendship yeah so all of the the friends that i'm talking about i met through connections at work i love my work but like we're really i'm passionate about that but like none of my close guy friends are family therapists or like to watch reality television or talk about relationships all day. So, you know. Okay. But they all have things that they are passionate about, meaning they've all developed their confidence and their passions, including sports, drums, soda, <laughs> and man buns. Man buns is definitely <laughs> so. it. All right. So bad advice from Jacob Woods. 
I mean, I also am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to be obstinate. <laughs> I just be obstinate. I mean, okay, first of all, first of all, are there such things as language classes? Is the world doing incredible levels of hobbying that just I haven't discovered? What is volunteer outdoors because I love nature? Like what? If this is real and I don't know about it, then people are just feeling sad for me. But I'm also, I just want to be fully transparent. I'm having a real self of the podcast reaction to this piece of advice. <laughs> because obviously I have no hobbies. I'm finishing my child's art projects. And I don't find it very easy to find and make new friends. It's not. So maybe we're just going to... Maybe we're just going to combine all of my different reactions into explaining why that is. I obviously need to build my self-confidence and get a freaking hobby. But I, I just am not sure. Is this really the way people are doing it? Like, I have known, I, I have, have to find I have known several people who have like joined hiking clubs and, and have met friends through hiking clubs, oh, met, joined like gardening clubs and met people, knitting clubs and met people. It is really challenging to find friendship in adulthood like once you pass college age like there's research out there that is very very challenging to meet new friends and especially if it's not through work like Jacob has done meeting new friends outside of any existing social networks is very challenging yeah I just try to keep the old is that a Girl Scouts thing? keep the old no, That's make new friends but keep the old what is yellow and the other is gold there's gold yes, I thought it was like a Jesus uh, thing yeah oh is it <laughs> I have no idea, but also good advice. I think, yeah. I, I so I don't know. This sounds like sounds like not real. If I don't know what I'm passionate about, also like here's here's another reaction. One way that I've tried to make friends multiple different times is through like activities that people try to plan because oh hey we all live in this area and we're moms i'm passionate about being a mom i love my kids so much guess what that does absolutely nothing when i get together with these women because they're all actually different human people and we don't necessarily connect in a way that i want to keep talking about being moms with them after that one event so there, there are lots of i hope no moms in your neighborhood so. listen to our podcast sarah they don't <laughs> they don't trust me we no that's not happening uh, or if they are then obviously I want to be their friend. Please reach out. <laughs> I'm passionate about wine and no, yeah, that's a good hobby. So. That's a good hobby. Go that's ahead. a good hobby. I love it. Thank you. So bad advice all around, primarily because it seems a little amorphous. Like, what is a passion? What does that mean? And also, you know, having one similarity that you're very passionate about doesn't mean that you might map on other characteristics. However, it might be a good way to start to get out there and try and find people. Because just because you're in a group, new people who have the same passion, you don't have to be friends with all of them. Maybe you just find one person and that's one friend. So badish advice. But I don't think it's terrible. Next, put yourself out there. Remember, nothing ventured, nothing gained. It isn't that you lose if you meet someone and it doesn't fit for your friendship. That's not losing. That's having tried. Good or bad advice. Put yourself out there. I don't like the way it's language necessarily, but I do think it's good advice. Right. I, as I was talking about before, I think there has to be a level of vulnerability in order to make friends. And so I do think it's important to put yourself out there. It doesn't mean you're going to be successful. It doesn't mean that it's going to work out. But if you're not putting yourself out there, you are probably not going to make friends. I don't know. Doesn't mean you will if you do put yourself out there. But so I think. So it's good, good advice. advice. Good advice. Jacob. Good advice. Woods. I feel like that was just a dig <laughs> at me after just having heard my vulnerability. You said vulnerability was all that mattered to being friends. I was vulnerable. You immediately took a stab. <laughs> I think this is bad advice. Is it bad advice? Because Jacob said it was good advice. <laughs> No, That's just, not a way to make friends, Sarah. It's, not, it's not, a, not a way to make friends. Just disagree with Keep me. the old. It says nothing ventured, nothing gained. I also feel like something ventured, shit lost. I don't, I mean, this is exhausting. It is. That's true. This, it's not, it's, okay, so that's not a really evidence-based science informed, already volunteered for the last piece of advice that was going to be very hard for me. I mean... I don't know. I yeah. I guess no. I I, st I stand by it. It's bad advice. You you can it can be hard when you put yourself out there and they 
they don't want to hang out with you again. So it could be losing, even if you've tried. Yeah, like emotionally. Like, I feel like putting yourself out there is I, important, but know that it's not, like, going to be without risk. Like, I feel like they, they're shaping this in terms of, like, just put yourself out there. It's going to be super easy. There's absolutely no risk in it. But there is risk it, in being vulnerable, right? And you could lose some of your self-confidence you just gained in step one. <laughs> and you might lose something you're passionate about, which, yes, has happened to me, because if I feel like it's not a fit, then I don't go back to those groups that I tried. Several years ago, I, Jesse, this is true. Jesse and I, there's a neighborhood wine group that was starting, and we're like, yes, we're gonna go. We're like gonna get out of our comfort zone. We like wine. And it was the most awkward collection of people. And it was mostly senior <laughs> citizens who obviously had a lot of time to participate in that hobby. And then other people who were trying to sell their like business. What? They were there to try to like give out business cards, not really making real friends. And then we couldn't go back, obviously. And we got lots of calls from those people once they had our like contact information. Oh, are you sure you don't need more homeowners insurance? No, we don't. We needed friendship. So science <laughs> personal experience is meaningful so put yourself out there if you want to make new friends it is true that you will have to put yourself out there however we have to know that there comes risk with that be purposeful maybe in those decisions where if it's a group that you don't like or that is like full of people that aren't genuinely trying to get friends then they're a-holes and you're a superhero. She's really trying to therapize you right now, Woods. I don't know if you've picked yeah. up on this. No, She's I, like trying to be like, oh, reframe, no, I, reframe. I feel, yes. yes. Trying I feel to like, directly trying to like towards me. make Soften. this helpful sure. for our listeners. So reframe. Sure. But sure. I think that, that, that Maybe. being able to relate to both of you is helpful as well. I just need friends. So meet in a neutral place. Once you have taken the first step and are moving on to meeting outside oh. the initial environment where you made the connection, choose a neutral public space. This can lessen that pressure. Jacob, good or bad advice? Yeah, I'm going to say bad advice. Like, Ooh. not because it's like fine to meet in a neutral place, but you don't have to be like, oh, you like wine? Well, let's, you can just let's go meet at a park and drink. <laughs> yeah, like yes. we don't need to go to the food court mall and sit down and chat. Like you can go back to the winery. You can go to where you met that person. The, and <laughs> The food court. How <laughs> sad do you think my life is? <laughs> I wasn't talking about you. Ooh, Sarah. So, Ooh. I mean, like, like, sure, this sounds more like you're doing online dating to meet at a neutral site. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, but like, it's fine just to go to, sure, a public place or whatever, but I, I don't know. It just sounds weird to say meet at a neutral place. Like, I, to me in my head, it's like somebody typing like, hey, it was so fun to meet you. Do you want to meet at a neutral place? And it'd be like, you're a serial killer. Leave me alone. <laughs> so um, just kind of like, I think friendships can kind of build and you can. There goes another friendship for me. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> So, you know, like, you don't, it doesn't have to be a public space. If you want to invite somebody over to your house, invite them over to your house. Like, that's fine. Whatever makes you feel comfortable. And if they're comfortable with it, it's going to be fine. So bad advice, Sarah. I mean, this is bad advice. Are people really doing this? Like, are people, are people deciding like, oh, I think we could be friends. We met in this outdoor nature adventure course we're both part of. And now I really want to continue this friendship. Let's go birding together in a place that feels safe for both of us. Like, is this happening? Because I have tried both. I have tried meeting in public places and then also inviting them to my home. Let me also, although I do I do agree personally that I have tried inviting people to my home now that I'm like, oh, we're friends. And then once you get there and you learn more about them, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't think we should be friends anymore. And then that's really awkward because you've taken it to an intimate level. Maybe I am reading <laughs> secretly what's, what's happening. <laughs> But I think, but I think I there's also value in weeding out shitty people to be your friends. Like just because you initiated, sure. now this isn't part of the advice, but I think like even though you've initiated a friendship with someone and like you took that next step to like invite them to your home and you're like, you annoy yeah. the fuck yeah. out of me. Like you don't have to be friends with them. Sure. I'm getting really sweaty <laughs> if I can just confess. For all those people who are debating about whether or not they wanted to become my friend. I get <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm getting very sweaty. So bad advice from Woods, too? Definitely. There's just two more you have to endure, Sarah. You good? <laughs> ask questions. If you want to be popular, ask people about themselves and listen sincerely when they answer. A good listener is rare these days. It is the best passport you could possibly have to friendship. Jacob, good or bad advice? Yeah, I'm going to say good advice, but like bad wording. I just don't like how yeah, this it's is kind like. of cheesy. So back in the days when I was doing online dating, I once went on a date where I sat with this woman for 60 minutes and I asked all the questions and she did not ask a single question about me. And needless to say, there was no second date. And didn't, even if I wasn't romantically interested in her, I wouldn't have wanted to be her friend either because she yeah. didn't ask questions. So I think hopefully people know that part of relationship building is to, you know, you create intimacy by learning about each other through right. asking and answering questions. So that's good advice. On both ends. Yeah. For both friendships and romantic partners. Good advice. Woods, <laughs> I'm just going to lay the ground like this is solid good advice. So go on. Choose your, choose your answer. Okay. No. Yes. I too think this is good advice. It's important to get to know each other when you are trying to form a relationship. My internal personal reaction is that this is just me inviting me, a therapist, to do my freaking job while I try to make friends. And then other people really benefit from what a good listener I am. And then I go home exhausted Aww. and they never call. So I'm just kidding about that last part. Of course, they call for more advice. Because <laughs> your advice is amazing. So, the podcast. Yes, I'm just kidding. I do think this is good advice. But I don't think a good listener is rare these days. I do just think it's important to weed them out because do you really want to spend time with that person in the long term? You probably don't. With a listener? <laughs> from somebody who has, with somebody who oh, doesn't yeah, listen. Yeah, yeah. Like weed out yeah, the yeah, people yeah. who don't listen. I don't think it's as rare as this person saying from somebody who has a lot of friends has a lot of friends i'm just you know there's lots of good listeners out there just find yourself a bunch so good advice ask questions and mm -hmm. listen mm -hmm. last but not least don't expect too much a common mistake is expecting too much from one person sarah covers her mouth it is more realistic and healthier to have a variety of friends for different reasons good or bad advice jacob I think this is good advice. We talk about this all the time when we talk about partners. Like, you shouldn't expect everything from your partner, but you also shouldn't expect everything from one friend. I think this is also kind of suggesting that you are in an environment where the people you are surrounded with share similar ideas and friendships. And so you're like how to be a friend and so they won't you can have multiple friendships that might not always be the case <laughs> damn that one was definitely directed at me <laughs> okay uh, so good okay. advice jacob yeah good advice woods good or bad advice yeah good advice i also don't expect too much from my friends <laughs> i know how to set the bar low <laughs> but science might say <laughs> <laughs> no, yes, I, I too think that it is a common mistake to expect too much from one person, rather that it's important to have multiple different kinds of needs met in right. all kinds of relationships. Not to say that you should have low standards, though, right? No, one should not have low standards. That's... One should have good standards. <laughs> that, ladies and gentlemen, and is make... what we call a leading question. <laughs> so that, that drink I brought to the podcast is just almost gone. I think that's part of what's helping me be more vulnerable. <laughs> Therefore, combined with my new hobbying, I should have more friends by the end of the airing of this episode. <laughs> I, I feel like people are going to reach I out to you and be like, all... I want to be your friend, Sarah Woods. I mean... I, the people who feel sad for me, and they do not share my passions. For what exactly? Your passion for wine. My passions. Well, that's the one I found so far. Or bourbon. I have bourbon others. Bourbon is another passion of yours. Oh, yeah. Oh, my mom's going to listen and get so worried. <laughs> I also like reading books. I haven't read a book in a long time. I'm just kidding. Well, ladies and gentlemen, go out and find some friends. Thank you for listening to Attached. Remember, call us, email us, or tweet us about any relationship advice you've received that you're wondering whether to follow or pass on. Or to be Sarah Wood's friend. Right. We cannot <laughs> wait to talk about it. Don't expect me to reach back out, though. <laughs> Obviously, this is just a one-way street. I love you guys both so much. <laughs>